So knowing that my why is connected to my to my sole purpose, which is to be of service and to be around books all day. That is literally what I like. I love helping people and I love being around books. So that helped me fuel my decision to go to grad school. So I think for most, for us, especially for women, we got to get out of that voice of, you know, those voices of fear mm-hmm. and really get down to what your why is. Like, why are you doing this? And once you have that, that's going to be the fuel that content that takes you through your journey. Welcome to the Be It Till You See It podcast, where we talk about taking messy action, knowing that perfect is boring. I'm Leslie Logan, Pilates instructor and fitness business coach. I've trained thousands of people around the world, and the number one thing I see stopping people from achieving anything is self-doubt. My friends, action brings clarity, and it's the antidote to fear. Each week, my guests will bring bold, executable, intrinsic, and targeted steps that you can use to put yourself first and be it till you see it. It's a practice, not a perfect. Let's get started. Hey, be it listener. How are you? How many times have you thought to yourself that's too late for you to do something? How many times have you thought, oh, what will people think if I do that? How many times have you maybe not even approached your partner or your family like, hey, I have this dream I'm thinking of doing? How many times have you not done that? My guess is it's probably more than you can count. Um, because I, I definitely have done it too. And I'm sure some things come with age for sure, but, um, I wish they didn't have to, I wish we could maybe know about them sooner. And maybe if we met more people like, uh, this week's guest, we would, you know, and I know all of our parents did the best they could. So this is not a knock on anyone's parenting, (laughs) but it is something that I think happens. We, we talk ourselves into a career because it feels safe, because it looks a certain way, because we think it's going to give us what we wanted. And then we stay in it maybe longer than we should. And everything happens the way it's supposed to. So if you are someone who is 25 years into something and you're like just now getting the guts to want to change, great. That's the exact right time. But my guest this week is an incredible, incredible woman who has a lot to share. Her name is Kelly Forkenbrock and she is a, well, she's many things. She's a wife and a mother. She is a writer. She is a librarian and she didn't start out with all those like things, right? Obviously, obviously the wife and mother thing, but I can't wait for you to hear that her story of finding sobriety, of changing career, of how she's able to do so much in a day. And it is a couple things that, you know what? They actually they don't cost any money. They just require communication vulnerability. So I can't wait for you to hear those. And I have to say one of the most unique be it action items I've ever heard. We've heard a lot. And this one, this one, I mean, I'm already using, <laughs> I'm already going to use because it's so beautiful and so special and, and life changing. So I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Um, Kelly came to me um, as you'll hear in her intro, because I asked you listeners, who should I interview? Who do you want to hear on the pod? And if there are people that you want to hear on the pod, just DM the Be It Pod. Let us know. You know, we'll reach out to them if they're aligned with the podcast. And I am obsessed with getting to um, share amazing women, amazing humans with you. And Kelly is just, I'm really excited for you to dive into this episode. But I also um, would love to hear who you want to hear in your ears. So please let me know. 
at the Be It Pod. In the meantime, here is Kelly. Hey, Be It listener, it's time. It's time to get your full body in 15. That's right. The registration doors have opened for our second backed by popular demand full body in 15 program. So it is a full body workout in 15 minutes. Um, this is for you if you have access to a mat and you are anywhere from what is Pilates to, oh my gosh, Pilates, I really need to get back into that. <laughs> or somewhere in between. You know, the truth is we want to make sure that there is a program for our mat lovers out there. Those of you who really want to get into a consistent workout, you don't have a lot of time and you also want to make sure you're doing it right. So in this week-long program, you have access to me and the OPC teachers. We have three live workouts for you where I'll actually answer all of your questions. I'll teach you about habits. I'll teach you how to do each one of the exercises on your own to be your own teacher. At the end of the week, you have a 15-minute workout you have to take with you wherever you're going. To also have the foundations to up-level into longer Pilates workouts wherever you are. So go to onlinepilatesclasses.com slash be it one five. That's onlinepilatesclasses.com slash B-E-I-T-1-5. See you there. All right, be it listeners. I have a very special woman here. She was actually sent my way by one of our listeners and OPC instructor, Rachel Piper. So I um, am so grateful. In fact, if you are listening to this and you're like, oh, I want Leslie to interview this person, you can tell me. <laughs> and I will happily look into them and see if we can put them on the pod. Kelly Forkenbrock is here. Um, oh my goodness. I This woman has uh, done a lot in her life and I'm really excited to share her with you. And also, um, and I kind of love as I, I we'll get into this in a second, but I feel like we put ages on things and we think we can't do something. And I remember hearing a lot of people think when they hit 40, they can't do something. And it's like the life is different. And Kelly is here to share that, no, the life does not stop at any certain number and you can have a lot um, more to whatever it is that you want to do. So Kelly, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Leslie. I'm so happy to be on your platform. Oh, well, I'm really happy to hear your story and share you with all of our listeners. Um, you are a force. So Kelly, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to these days? I know, you know, Rachel, and I know you're in Iowa, but you are doing a lot over there. So what, what are you up to right now? Well, so I'm Kelly Forkenbrock. I am a librarian. I am a wife and a mother. I'm an author. I am a yogi and Rachel is trying to get me to get closer to my Pilates. So I'm, I'm, I'm really stepping into my Pilates right now. And overall, I'm just, you know, a human. Uh, I love my life. I love where my life is going. And just as you said at the beginning, uh, I am in my 40s and life for me really did begin at 40. It really sounds so cliche, but the amount of things that I've accomplished, I'm 43, and the things that I've done over the past three, four years since I've entered uh, my 40s, uh, it, it's, it's unexplainable, but I'm going to try my best to explain today. But um, but yeah, that's just a little bit about me. I work at uh, North Liberty Library here in North Liberty, Iowa. If you're familiar with Iowa, uh, we are just 15 minutes away from the University of Iowa in Iowa City. Uh, I am also an author. My author name is Eliza David. I have uh, self-published 12 titles and I've been in several anthologies. My chosen genre is a uh, romance, mm. uh, specifically romance with uh, black characters uh, featured prominently. Uh, I am working on my 13th novel right now, which I started in 2019, but then I decided to go to grad school 
And now that I've finished my first year of grad school, I'm coming back to it. It is called Love in Reverse. It will be coming out this summer. It's going to be just a little short novella. I'm just trying to get my feet wet again with fiction writing because I've spent the past year doing academic writing. Oh, and my working. God. So, yeah, I'm really trying to ease myself back into the romance fiction arena. Uh, but yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Um, I just, I love what I do. I've been a resident of Iowa for over 20 years, but I am born and bred from the South side of Chicago. Uh, that is my home. Uh, my mom and my brother are there. So I visit as frequently as I can. It's not too far from here. It's but, not. Yeah. I never, like I'm yeah. from California, born and raised. And so I just moved to Las right. Vegas two years ago. And when I, we've done four cross country trips now. And when I was driving through Iowa and like Chicago is right there. It like, it's, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's like, you don't know the map anymore when you live in a state that you drive eight hours and you're still in it. So like, it's really <laughs> shocking <laughs> to me <laughs> when you're like, oh, it's just like, it's just right there. So this is Kelly, you're freaking, you are on your 13th romance novel and you've gone to grad school and you're a librarian and you are a mom. And a wife and that I know our listeners are many of them are married, many of them are moms, um, many of them are trying or working for themselves or or work for someone when they're working and they're probably like, How are you writing so many books and going to school and doing all these things? So do you have a secret of like, you know, maximizing time or do you bend time? Does time stand still? How do you do it? <laughs> Well, we all, I know I hate to say it like this because this is so cliche too. We all have the same 24 hours. But what I try to do is, and this is something that I've learned in my 40s, I really have to give myself grace. I'm very much a go getter, extroverted individual. So uh, in my 20s and 30s, I spent a lot of time just bop, 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 trying to get work done. You know, this was before I became a librarian. I've only been a librarian for three years. But the first 20 years of my career, was in the private sector. So I worked at uh, companies in in the realm of sales and marketing and public relations and project management. So a lot of corporate duties. So I really got used to that nine to five. This is what I do from nine to five. This is what I can do after five. And when I started writing, I wrote my first book when I was 35 in 2014. And uh, from there, my first book, which is free on Amazon, it's called The Cougarette under mm. my writer name, Eliza David. Uh, and I, I just kept writing from there. But I guess if I could say what helps is one, I have such a supportive family. Uh, my husband and I have literally been together half my life. We've been, we are coming up on 18 years of marriage. Whoa, congratulations. I uh, know, thank you. Um, we're coming up on 18 years of marriage in October. And so he's known me since the, the beginning of my career, before that, when I was in college. So uh, he's always known that I'm a go-getter. He's a go-getter. So we really try to support each other in that way to make sure that we have the space to do the things that we want to do. And in my case, really allowing myself to, you know, allowing me to have that space to write and still care for the children and care for him and do my professional work that brings in the real money. That's been helpful. But again, I come back to just really giving myself grace. It was really hard for me to walk away from writing in 2019. I started this novel that I'm currently working on in 2019. I was about two months sober Mm -hmm. And I still wasn't convinced that I was going to stay sober. And then the pandemic happened six months later. Can I just say, if and you every, could stay sober through a pandemic, through the, you, like, you're going to be fine. <laughs> I'm, have, I'm writing that on my tombstone. Here she lies, 
She stayed sober through the pandemic. So whatever you else you have to say about me, end it with that because because <laughs> because the reality is I, I I don't I don't know the stats, but I feel like like sales of alcohol went up. Oh yeah, I'm sure because I know that if I hadn't started my sobriety journey before the pandemic, I would have had a much harder bottom after mm-hmm. the pandemic, if not during. Yeah. So I'm really thankful that I tapped into that part of my journey then. But tapping into my sobriety so early in its infancy really took a toll on my creativity. I didn't feel like writing. I don't think a lot of writers felt like writing. I was just talking uh, with a writer friend of mine yesterday, and we were talking about how, well, we're coming back to projects that we started three years ago, because it just zapped all the creative yeah. juice out of me. I couldn't write. So, you know, I had to give myself grace in that moment to say, okay, writing is not the thing I want to do right now. And it took me a long time to get to that place. And then once I started grad school, I really had to give myself grace. So I would say those are the two kind of secrets behind my success, if you will, is a supportive family unit and the ability to allow myself to not do everything on my to-do list to say, you know what, this is what I got done today. This is good let's rest now. Let's put this away now. That's beautiful. And I I think like, I think a lot of people will be nodding along and it's like, and then it's like easier said than done. Um, but you know, I, I think, um, I thank you for being so honest because I do think a lot of people look at someone who's writing, who's like written, you're on your 13th novel and you're going to grad school and you're doing all these things. And it's like, Oh, it must be so easy for her. And I, and I actually think it's like, it just looks easy unless you're not doing it. If you're the one doing it, exactly. Yeah, because it yeah, it looks it looks easy because I think another thing is that social media, which I'm a huge fan of social media, so you can always look me up under my writer name Eliza David on all the platforms, except Snapchat and TikTok, because I refuse. My kids are obsessed with TikTok. I refused. I get enough TikTok in my house. But I, I think that sometimes when we look at folks on social media talking about their accolades and what they're doing, what we ha- what we don't see is the struggle. What yeah. we don't see is the work. You don't see the behind the scenes. You see what's on stage. And that's how social media is set up to be. It's set up to be because I was just telling someone I was coaching today because she was, you know, upset that she was went to record and film and she had three hours set aside for it. And then there wasn't enough storage for her to film. And then like the lighting wasn't right. Or then this happened. And I said, just so you know, I have to record 13 new tutorials because I recorded all of them and the audio didn't work. And I said, when I don't put that on there, I'm busy re-recording. I'm not, I don't have the time to tell you <laughs> I have to re-record yeah. those things. I've got to go re-record them. And also, I I also think like you don't want to hear that because you don't want that negativity in your life. You don't, you, like, okay. I don't, no one wants to go, oh, or then it welcomes like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't want you to be sorry. This is not bad. This is like, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not it's bad. Re- like even when you try to be vulnerable on social media, it's always a double-edged sword because people want you to be vulnerable and be like, okay, girl, tell us the real story. And then when you tell them the real story, then they say, oh, it's not so bad. And then it becomes the oppression Olympics. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you really have to be grounded in yourself. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to how you portray yourself on social media. Uh, For me, you know, there are, you know, I use my platforms. I talk, I always say, I talk about books. I talk about men. 
and I talk about Mariah Carey. That's really <laughs> the extent of what I have to contribute to social media. But we all and need our pillars, like, Kelly. We all need our pillars. We <laughs> our, these are our talking points. This is where I stand. I've, yes. okay, I love your, those, that combo is like better than like appetizer of <laughs> the party. Um, okay, so I, I, I have to ask this because you have a name you write under and then that's what you are on social media. It can, mm-hmm. is, can we talk about like, why did you come up with that name? Is there, is it, is there, is there a reason? And then also like, do you feel like you are a different person when you're her or like, is it just you with a different name? Okay. Those are great questions. So Eliza David is uh, the combination of my two children's middle names. I have a teen son and a tween daughter. So Eliza's my daughter's middle name. Uh, David is my son's. And I just thought that that was such a homage to my children because Wow. You know, my husband and I have known each other literally over almost 25 years. So he knows what it's like when I get into my busy mode, just like I know what he's like when he gets in his. But this was like new for my children when I started writing, because now all of a sudden mommy has work time. But now there's this other element of writing. Uh, And now that they're older, you know, and a little bit more self-sufficient, they understand. But that was kind of my homage to my children to call myself Eliza David. And as far as Eliza David, like, is it a Beyonce, Sasha Fierce situation? Sometimes I think so, because um, although what I write, I write what I would read. And Mm -hmm. I love write, I love steamy romance. I love rom-coms. So that's what I write. So in a way, it's kind of still Kelly in there. But the creativity and the stories that I pull from, that's Eliza David really going in. That's Eliza David going into the minds, going into the creative vault to pull out these characters, to pull out these stories, to pull out these struggles. So it's kind of a combination of both, I think. I love it. I love it so much. I think it's I think it's great. And I, I think like you know, there's a there's an author of the book Chatter, and he talks about how a lot of people will, you know, a lot of us actually have a Sasha Fierce of some kind. We might not call it a mm-hmm. different name, but when we like go, okay, Leslie, like you got this. Like that's like the same thing. It's like you being the other version of yourself that's that's like more organized, more confident, reminding you to do something. So I think it's um I think it's really cool. And uh, Stacey Abrams writes under a different name too. And I'm like, gosh. Yes, I am reading um, I am reading her books. I'm reading Secrets and Lies right now. I just finished Reckless. I am obsessed with the way she writes. I love that she writes like this romantic thriller stuff. So, and Selena Montgomery is her writer's name. So yeah. highly recommend it. Everyone, you've got to. I mean, I'm obsessed with her anyways. And then when I found, I was like, yes. oh, I can, I can take in more of her. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Highly recommended. Okay, so you had a private sector job. You made a decision to switch careers, get sober, all these things. What was the impetus? Was it slowly, like like over years, going, I need to change this? Was there like a moment? What made you do that? And also, like, why why a librarian? Like, was that because you're writing? (laughs) Those are two great questions. So my sober journey literally started from birth. Um, I have, in my family... Uh, alcohol was an issue. Uh, I grew up in a great family with people who loved and cared about me, uh, but alcohol was an issue. Mm -hmm. And although I didn't start, I started drinking, I never touched any alcohol literally until freshman orientation in college. And from then on, you know, I went to college in the late nineties. So from then on, it was just this binge drinking culture because people, uh, people who are younger than 40 really don't understand like, 
we were wild in the late 90s. We just didn't have social media and camera phones to catch it. So <laughs> it was just really buck wild. Like my college, I, and I went to college in a small town in Iowa called Clinton, Iowa, which is about 90 miles east of here. And, I, you know, I went into, I, I literally went from binge drinking culture in college to sex in the city, martini culture in my 20s to wine, mommy wine culture in my 30s. So mm. I hit all three of the phases in drinking. <laughs> and, 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 and a part of that was because I, I grew up in, in, uh, in an environment where alcohol was accessible, where it was considered just part of life. Yeah. And um, what hit for me was I had always said to myself, uh, especially as my kids got older, you know, I'm going to stop drinking because, you know, when my daughter, she's 10 now, but when she was a toddler, when I was still drinking, she would say, oh, it's mommy juice. You know, like when I would pull out my wine, it was like, she, or if I was in a bad mood, or if I was sitting down, if I was upset, she'd say, mommy, do you want some wine? And it's like, wow, my child at her very young age is already equating me mm. not in a good mood with needing wine. So I knew then that I needed to change, but I wasn't ready. And during, it was Labor Day, September 2nd, 2019 was my first day of sobriety. I woke up, it was Labor Day weekend. It was Sunday of the end of Labor Day weekend. And I looked in the mirror after two nights of binge drinking and I just did not like the way I looked. And I told, I said to myself, you know what? I just turned 46 months ago. My skin's a mess. I'm exhausted. I, and I was in Chicago at the time. So I had to drive me and my husband, and my family back to Iowa City. And I just said, you know what? I'm not going to drink. And on the ride back to Iowa City, my husband and I were talking and I said, you know, I think I'm going to stop drinking. And I said, you know, there's a bottle of Pinot Grigio in the back of my refri the refrigerator that's already opened. I should just finish that off. And, and I said, okay, I'm going to finish it off. I came home and I saw it and I thought, no. I am literally going to stop drinking right now. Wow. And I have not had a drink since. And for me, what really influences my journey is one, the health benefits, the, you know, just, I lost eight pounds in my first month of sobriety and I changed nothing else about my life except not drinking. Wow. Like that was, that was the only thing I changed and I lost eight pounds and, and it wasn't just the weight loss, but my skin looked better. I felt better. I had better sleep. I had a better attitude and it really forced me because I was already doing therapy at the time, but it really, in, it made my therapy stick because now I really did the homework because yeah. I don't have the wine to, you know, help me work through life's problems. Yeah. I have to look my problems in the face, stone sober and figure out what my next plan of action is. And that has been one of the biggest benefits of sobriety for me thus far. I'm glad you said that because I was about to say like having, having to work through the things, I think if you can do it like that, if you can do it sober, if you can do it, there's so much more clarity. And also it makes you probably feel really unstoppable and stronger. Like you, I, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm inferring, yeah. but like, I just feel like I think a lot of people's hangups are because they don't do the work and it's hard to do the work when there's a million things you're already doing. And then yeah. there are many hours of some days that you are not really completely there because you've had something to drink. So, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's incredible. Like I, I would not have. And then that leads to your second question about becoming a librarian. So it was through getting sober that during my third month of sobriety, I was done working at my employer and I thought, you know what? 
what I'm 40 years old. What is it that I really want to do with my life? And I had already written several books by this time. And I thought, okay, I want to work with books. But I kept it just at that. You know, I'd gone through my 20s and 30s designing the career I wanted. And even saying, you know, counting out certain jobs because it didn't fit the exact picture I created in my mind. So this time I took a minimalist approach. I said, I just want to work with books. So if that means I'm working at Barnes and Noble, if that means I'm just going to be a writer for the rest of my life, if that means I'm going to work at R.R. Donnelly and make uh, phone books for the rest of my life, that's what I'm going to do. And I saw there was a part-time <laughs> job at the library. So glad you didn't end up making phone books. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad too, because that would have been a short career. And I, I started part-time at two libraries mm. because I told my husband two part-time part-time jobs equals one full-time job, right? Right. He didn't really believe that, but oh well. <laughs> Those two part-time jobs, one of them turned into the full-time job that I do today. And that's how I became a librarian. And at first I thought, you know, I've always loved libraries. I didn't know that I could be a librarian. If you had asked me five years ago, I would have said, uh, no, I love libraries, but not so much. And here I am. I've just wrapped up my first year of grad school. I went back to school after 22 years. Oh, wait, I got my undergrad in 2000. So this was my this has been my first time back in a classroom (laughs) in almost in over 21 years. So uh, and now I'm heading into my second one. I I I couldn't have crafted a better. I, I spent so many years, my 20s and 30s in particular, crafting my career. And this by far has been the best professional decision of my life. I, I'm just so glad. And I don't think I would have reached this conclusion if I wasn't sober. I love the way you're saying this, though, because I think so many of us, like you said, you're like, I, cry. I picked a job based on the picture that I thought it would be. And like we all I think mm-hmm. I, I think. I think people in their 40s and 50s are still doing this. Like I think people in yeah. general, they want so much certainty. So they're like, okay, this person who is the CEO of this company, here's what they did before this. And then before that, and before that. And like, I had a, um, one of the girls I was teaching, she was 14 at the time. And she's like, I'm going to go to Stanford. And I said, okay, do we have any other options we want to apply to? Just think like, just as backups. No, I'm applying to Stanford. I'm like, okay. She's like, this is how I'm going to do it. And she's like listing off all the extracurricular activities she's doing, all the clubs mm-hmm. she's doing, all the classes she's taking. And then on this summer school, I'm going to do this. And, I, and she's 14. And I was just like, I looked at her mom. I said, I really hope you have a backup plan. <laughs> like, yeah, like, you know, it's that certainty because groundlessness is scary. The idea and, and Buddhist principles talk about groundlessness a lot, mm-hmm. the ability to embrace uncertainty. And I think that especially after 2020, all of us have learned that embracing uncertainty is really the key to sanity. It, yeah. it truly is because you're going to drive yourself mad trying to plan out every intricate part of your life. And that, and just like that 14 year old girl, she's, she's a girl after my own heart because that's what I did in my twenties. I I said, no, I even planned my children. Okay. My children are exactly five years apart. And I planned it that way because I, and I planned the, I actually read one of those books about how to plan the gender of your child. Oh, did you do the sex positions? Because there's, yeah, I did. I did the, uh, the ovulation okay. trick because it's like if you have sex before ovulation versus after ovulation and <laughs> because I got my girl, but still like, that's just how just 
analytical I was about it. And now in my 40s, I think the girl in my, the woman in my 20s would look at the woman in my 40s and be like, oh, you don't have a plan B? Uh, <laughs> wait a minute, what's the plan? Where are we going? What are we doing? I have really just, and, and but I still, I mean, I still have my moments. I mean, I have two children. So, yeah. and I have a teenage son, I have a tween daughter. I still have my moments of control, but I recognize that whenever I'm in those moods, that it's just about control. And what is control about? Fear. You mm-hmm. know, it's, those are interconnected. So being, recognizing that when you participate in it is really key as well. Yeah. And like, it's, it's hard to participate in that and have like, even a conversation with yourself about like, why am I having this? Why am I controlling this right now? If you are not in tune with yourself in some way, whether it is through sobriety or just even taking time to learn about who you are and what, what activates you, what makes you tick like, and it's so interesting. Um, I uh, I grew up going to the library. Like we, we couldn't afford books. We couldn't like are you like we could go to the bookstore and then we were allowed to read, but we didn't get to take them. <laughs> so, right, right. but we can go to the library <laughs> as much as we wanted. And I think that they're just such a special place. And the people who always work at them are such they're always like such good-hearted people. Like you don't go work at the library if you don't like books and people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you, uh, at least I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. I hope it. So you um you got this amazing promote. You're like, you're the, you're the head librarian now. And you, you decided to go back to grad school. Is that something you've always wanted to do? Is it for your writing? Is it for, is it for your career as a librarian? Like what made you um, decide to do that? Cause I think a lot of people would have that on their list and then think because of their age or because of their kids or because of all the, th- all the, all the responsibilities, they can't do it. So what made you say I can do this? Well, when I, when I became public services librarian, um, I thought to myself, let me see how this goes for the first year. You know, I really love the people that I work with. I love my director and I love the environment, especially as an extrovert who loves being around people. And after a year, I started thinking, maybe I could go to grad school. And I talked to my husband about it. My husband, you know, he has his master's in his field and, you know, he was completely on board. But then I started thinking, you know, the fear sets in. And I think that's what happens with a lot of us is that we we think about these things that we want to do. And then that voice of fear catches in. It says, oh, no, no, no. You have this. You have that. You have this. You have that. And it's hard to discern between the voice of fear and the voice of reason, because the voice of fear and the voice of reason can sound very much alike. And what I had to do is think, okay, why? am I going to grad school? Why am I interested in going to grad school? Is it because I want to say that I have a master's? Is it because I feel like I'm not adequate enough in my job because I'm a librarian uh, who has, this is my first year of experience. Do I feel like I need to beef up my own experience? What are the reasons? And, And your why can be valid because it's your why. So once I understood what my why was, that's what fueled me to apply uh, to get the scholarships that I got. I've gotten two scholarships, two academic scholarships as a result of my career. Uh, I'm doing my practicum with uh, Iowa City Poetry next fall. And it's really introduced me to so much. It's so much more than the classroom work. It's so much more than the academic side. It's been the connections I've been able to make since I started in grad school and how I use those to fuel my career. So they're all interconnected. So knowing that my why is connected to my to my sole purpose, which is to be of service and to be around books all day. 
that is literally what I like. I love helping people and I love being around books. So that helped me fuel my decision to go to grad school. So I think for most, for us, especially for women, we got to get out of that voice of, you know, those voices of fear Mm -hmm. and really get down to what your why is like, why are you doing this? And once you have that, that's going to be the fuel that content that takes you through your journey. You're, you're, you're spot on. And, and it's true because there's, there is going to be a lot of different things that come up along the way. And if you are not clear on why you're doing it, you are not going to be able to face a fork in the road. You're going to get stuck at it. You're going to, um, or you're not going to do the thing and you'll let fear win because you're, you aren't aware of your why and it's not strong enough to go, yeah, it's going to be scary as fuck, but I'm going to do it anyways. You know? <laughs> I applied to grad school when I was in college and I had to write this 60 page paper and I, I like I it would to graduate my, my college, my degree. And I, um, and so the, this letter came in the mail after I turned that paper in and I had to pull two all nighters and it was this horror, this thing. And I was like, I don't even care. This letter says I am not, <laughs> I'm not going to another class. <laughs> I am not writing another paper. Cause of course my grad thing was in writing. It was in communications and I was like, no, I don't even care. And I just threw it away. I didn't even open it. I'm a f- imagining it was a probably a no, not this time anyways, because right. <laughs> like grad school is taking a, taking a girl just out of college who hasn't worked anything. But um, I'm also so grateful because it led me into what I do now. And I, I think we, it's like that being open to what, what you can't, what you couldn't picture because when someone suggests I should be a Pilates instructor, I was like, I could do that. It's kind of like when you would just, that's what made me think yeah. of when you're like, I could, I'm going to be around books. Oh, I could be a librarian. Like, it's like, I, it's like, it's like, I don't know. And maybe it's our generation. I know. I mean, I'm a, I'm an elder millennial, but, um, but like, I feel like I grew up with parents who like, they did this job and then they stayed in that job forever and ever and ever. And so you had to pick your career and that was like your career. And so I, I went to college for communication and I was like, oh, that's what I have to do. And it's like, so it's like, you can be a applied instructor. I'm like, really? I could? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's weird because we grow up with, and, and, and our parents mean well. I mean, and I say this uh, from the seat of being uh, a parent of a teen who is starting to look at what he wants to do with his life. And of, and in, in the knee-jerk reaction, even in my more enlightened state, my knee-jerk reaction for my child is go to college, pick a career, go to college, get serious. Like that is still my knee-jerk reaction. And I know that when I say that, I mean well, and our parents meant well too, because that's what they know. But I never. I don't want my children to have to wait as long as I had to wait mm-hmm. to for the light bulb to come on and say, "Hey, no, 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 do what it is that's in your heart to do." And and I think that sometimes in this very realistic, concrete world, doing what's in your heart and soul and what you're meant to do can be a little woo woo, and people think you're living in a fantasy land. And I probably would have, I know I would have been that person 20 years ago, even 10 years ago to be like, you're going to stop working at this nice corporate job. It's like all the benefits and all the books to do books all day. And the great thing is that I'm grateful, but, but then on this other hand, I'm grateful for that time. I'm grateful for the 20 plus years I spent, you know, climbing this, Mm -hmm. you know, corporate ladder or what have you, because those skills now help me in my job. 
those management skills that I honed, Mm -hmm. those marketing skills that I honed. I use those every day in my current position. The only difference is I'm doing something that is really from the heart. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking all of those practical skills that I learned in my career and being grateful for that journey, because if I didn't have that journey, I would not be in the position I was in today. You know, thank you for saying that, because I think a lot of people go, gosh, I should have done that instead. And not like, maybe like, I, I shouldn't have wasted those years. I should have just done this thing. And it's like, everything that you experienced, all the jobs you did because you thought this is going to be the right job for me, or this is going to be the most secure thing I can do. All those things, even the people we dated that were like, gosh, that was a dumb decision. (laughs) (laughs) But but I say it all the time. If I hadn't been with my ex, I never would be with my husband. Because if I hadn't been with like super secure lawyer person with all the check all the boxes, all the things, I would never have been like, yeah, let me date a musician. That sounds like a good idea. I was like, you know what? Let me just tell you, security and uh, a, a good career doesn't mean anything. Give me the musician. Hold on, let me yes. let me check out this. Yes. But um, but I think, you know, every experience we have sets us up for the next one. And it's like you, yeah, okay, maybe if your mom had told you you should be a librarian, Kelly, like you love books. Oh, maybe and she did, and maybe you wouldn't, and, she did. Yeah. and you wouldn't have, but maybe you wouldn't have been that where you are and doing the way you had, yeah. or maybe you've been like, oh, you know what? I really should try this corporate thing because it feels like you probably like, like now you know, like this is a job you yeah. want. You know what I mean? Like it's more, there's yeah. more certainty and more in there. So I think we can't be sad about the experiences we didn't have earlier because all the ones we yeah. did have really do set us up to be where we are and have the experience we're having now. And and so I'm glad you mentioned like your past job has allowed you to be more successful and even have more, probably more impact at your current job because of those leadership and management skills, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my position as public services librarian, one of the things I do is, you know, I do some community outreach. So I bring, a, I'm bringing with me 20 plus years of community experience throughout the corridor, 20 plus years of meeting and engaging business owners and creatives and uh, and core and organizations, I'm bringing those connections with me. And what's more is that I'm using those previous connections to build new ones. Mm-hmm. So never, ever discount your journey. And that's something I have to continue to remind myself of. Like, even in my happiest days with my work, I'm always like, damn, I wish I had, you know, done this earlier. But then I have to catch myself and say, if I had done this earlier, you know, you know, I wouldn't have had that bulk of experience to buoy my career like I can now. So yeah. never ever discount your journey. Oh, I think I I think that it's like we should all put that on a bumper sticker. Um, so mm-hmm. on a t-shirt, on a book. Um, so okay, before we take a break, I I feel like I have to ask a librarian favorite books, like books that like that like you're like if someone's like I need to read something, like what are your go tos right now aside from your own. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I have to say uh, my favorite, favorite writer is Alice Walker. Um, I had the privilege of watching her live via Zoom. She she just released uh, a collection of her letters. Uh, but my favorite book from Alice Walker is In Our Mother's Gardens. And it is uh a collection of essays and letters that she wrote in the name of what what's coined as womanism, which is black feminism. But I invite everyone, especially every woman 
to read in our mother's gardens. And it is a fantastic, fantastic book. Uh, another book that I love that uh, always shocks people because they didn't know that this writer would write something racy, but it's the name of the book is called Wifey and it's written by Judy Bloom. Yes, that Judy Bloom. So Judy Bloom has, you know, this great career of, you know, uh, Dear God, it's me, Margaret, and all of these wonderful children's books. But she also writes some adult books. And Wifey is a fantastic book about uh, a housewife, a disgruntled housewife whose husband is cheating on her. And she begins an affair with a motorcycle, uh, a motorcycle man who just visits her home and does untoward things and yes it is written by the judy bloom and i have contacted judy bloom on twitter and told her how much i love that book and she tweeted me back it's like one of the best moments on social media but she's like thank you i don't hear enough about wifey but thank you so very much that makes me feel so good so i made judy bloom feel great about that book so wifey by judy bloom is like one of my favorite pieces of fiction that is uh I'm yes. so excited. I'm so excited to read this because I miss Judy Bloom. Like I like I read every I mean, I've been sitting on the, the shelf at the library yes. and I'm like waiting for the book that I hadn't read to come back yet. Like <laughs> Yes, get you some wifey. I would recommend all of her books. She also has a book called Summer Sisters. That is an adult fiction mm. novel. Her adult fiction is like it. So I would highly recommend uh, you you get some of that out the box. All right. I'm excited. Alice Walker and the adult <laughs> versions, everyone, of your very favorite author who helped you through your teenage years of Judy Bloom. Yes. She's back for all of us. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, you're amazing. I have to have you back. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to hear how we can read all your books and also your Be It Till You See It action items. All right, loves, I want you to be listening in. If you are a teacher or a studio owner, I want you at my house. You may have heard that we had an incredible business retreat here in Las Vegas in March, and it was beyond incredible. And the wins I've been hearing out of our retreaters since they left, it's only been a month, is out of this world, insane, so amazing. And so if you are feeling like you're in monotony mode, that you are stuck, that you're just continuing to be in this hamster wheel and nothing is actually going, or you actually don't even know where to go next, I want you here, okay? I want you in the community. I want you in the container. I want to hug you and also help you with your business. And Brad's here. We've got Monica from Girl Squad and her whole team here to do photos and some amazing adventures in between. So do not wait. You will definitely want to be at our fall retreat. It's October 5th to 9th. We're already one third sold out at the time that I'm recording this. So come on, join us at ProfitablePilates.com slash retreat. ProfitablePilates.com slash retreat. We'll see you in Las Vegas. All right. Kelly, what do you, um, where can people find you, follow you, go to the library? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, my Facebook and Twitter are both Eliza David. So you just look that up in the search bar and you can find my author page there, uh, as well as my Twitter, which is Eliza D. Writes. Uh, and then on Facebook, I mean, on Instagram, I'm under the handle Writes girl problems, right? As in W-R-I-T-E, girl problems. So you can find me there as well. Uh, you can also find my blog at elizadavid.com. And uh, yeah, that's how you can get in touch with me. I am highly accessible, a little too accessible online, but I love social media. I love 
you know, checking people out. I love checking, you know, posting about myself and what I'm doing. So feel free to contact me on all of those platforms. I love it. And are, are your books on your site or where do they find your, your books? Oh, yes. My books are on Amazon. So if you just Google Eliza David, right now, all of my books, except for my first book, which is free uh, on Amazon, the rest of my Kindle books are all 99 cents each. Uh, if you love steamy romance, I've written, I have uh, The Cougarette, which is a six book series about a 43 year old woman falling in love with a 26 year old man. Uh, I have uh, The Follow, which is a trio of books. And it is about uh, an R&B uh, star who is suffering from a sex addiction and he falls in love with his social media manager. So it's about their relationship. <laughs> you really do uh, love social. <laughs> I do, don't I? I'm ridiculous. Um, and then I'm in several anthologies, uh, which are also under my name. Those won't be 99 cents because those are published by other folks, but I'm in Best Women's uh, Erotica uh, Volume 4. I'm in the Naughty Librarians uh, collection. <laughs> yes. Yes, I know. Right. So if you like good steamy romance with a side of great humor, absolutely look me up on Amazon at Eliza. Just look up Eliza David. Perfect. Okay. This is amazing. I can't wait. Um, I read too many business books, so I'm like very excited for this. Oh, yeah. I'm going to switch. Give me that break. You <laughs> need a break. We ask everybody this bold, executable, intrinsic or targeted steps people can take to be it till they see it. What do you have for us? All right. Number one, learn to say thank you. Learn to say thank you. I say it out loud when I if I see like uh, if I see like an ex posting something that's just not cool. I say thank you for delivering me from that relationship with that person. Uh, if I'm having a disagreement with my mother, I say thank you for have, for allowing me the ability to even argue with my mama, that she is still here with me, that I can have that dialogue, even if it's if it's difficult in the moment. Just learn to say thank you. That's num- That would be my number one thing. Just really practice gratitude in every step of your way. It's hard to practice gratitude when we're in those tough times. But know that when you're in those tough times, the universe is trying to teach you something. Mm -hmm. God, whoever you believe in, is trying to teach you something in that moment. Be grateful for that lesson and be grateful for that breath that you're breathing that you can even engage that lesson because a lot of people can't right now. Mm -hmm. So say thank you. Just say thank you out loud. Scare people. Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you. Oh my Kelly, thank you so much. This is a delight. I'm just I'm I'm so glad we've met and I I hope that my cross country tour friends me back through Iowa. I have to see Rachel anyways, but I would love to meet you in real life because you are just absolutely your your energy and enthusiasm and love. Like you it's like I know we're not in real life right now, but like it is contagious. I can't stop smiling. Like I've just really enjoyed our entire conversation. Um everyone listening, how are you going to use these tips in your life? Let us know. Tag Right Girl Pilates and the Be It Pod on Instagram. Screenshot this, send it to a friend. Then, like, text a friend the link if you have no idea how to share from the podcast world. But let them know that they can that they should listen to this if they are needing to hear that somebody else totally changed their career and and changed their life and got sober and 
whatever out of this that made you think of a friend, just send it to them. You don't have to say hello. You can just send them the link and people know what to do with those. So um, thank you, Kelly, for being here. Thank you everyone for listening. Until next time, be it till you see it. episode of the be it till you see it podcast one thing that would help both myself and future listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a review and follow or subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcast also make sure to introduce yourself over at the be it pod on instagram i would love to know more about you share this episode with whoever you think needs to hear it help us and others be it till you see it have an awesome day Be It Till You See It is a production of As the Crows Fly Media. It's written, produced, filmed, and recorded by your host, Leslie Logan, and me, Brad Kroll. Our associate producer is Amanda Fratarelli. Kevin Perez at Desenio handles all of our audio editing. Our theme music is by Ali at Apex Production Music. And our branding by designer and artist, Gianfranco Chofi. Special thanks to our designer, Jaira Mandal, for creating all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast, and our digital producer, Jay Pedroso, for editing all the video each week that you can. And to Angelina Herrico for transcribing each of our episodes so you can find them on our website. And finally, to Meredith Kroll for keeping us all on point and on time. <laughs>